Welcome to Hey Siri, a podcast about psychology, relationships, and most importantly, piping hot tea. Sit down, take a sip, and remember to subscribe as resident pop culture expert Sochi and struggling PhD student Siri take you through the what, why, and how of relationship research and what that means for your non-scientifically researched relationships. Did I just say research instead of research? You did. It was very fancy. (laughs) All of this research is coming out all the time, but academic literature can be intimidating and difficult to connect to real life. So let us do it for you. Siri will tell us all about what research is taking the psychology world by storm. (laughs) On today's episode, she will tell us all about divorce. Why is it so prevalent? What are the most common reasons for divorcing? How can you avoid divorce? After hearing the research and evidence regarding divorce, Sochi will baselessly speculate on people we do not know. Celebrities. Today, Sochi will be discussing a Hollywood couple icon, Brangelina. Okay. So, the uh, the description for this episode is not 100% accurate because, well, wait, do we want to tell them? Are you, are you exposing us right now? What? <laughs> I just, I feel like they should know how the, what is it, how the chicken is made? How the pork is made? How the, how the, how the sausage is made? Have you ever eaten a sausage? No. Ah, okay. That's how I, that's why I don't know how it's made. That we're recording out of order, is that what you're talking about? Yes. Well, we're not, I mean, we're not recording out of order because technically we did do this in the right order and then, um... And then the audio went poof. Yes, this is our <laughs> second take of this episode. But that allowed us to come back bigger and stronger with even more research. And um, I guess not any more tea because this relationship had so much tea that I had to limit myself a little bit, guys. I had to, like, calm <laughs> down. We're talking about Brangelina. I feel like... This is like a rite of passage for podcasters, though. The first time you have to have to re-record an episode. I did feel so bad about it um, because I I keep all of the episodes in my computer, and my computer has been the only one who's had issues. <laughs> so anytime something goes wrong, everything goes wrong. Yeah. No, like in life very accurate and it was even more horrible because last time siri uh hated the article that she found and so we got to hear just a bunch of siri's original research and we kind of got like a little bit of a lecture from her which is very cool because normally you have to pay thousands of dollars in tuition to get that (laughs) y'all should feel very special that she's doing it twice no, I just ad-libbed for an hour. And actually, like, I'm glad that we're doing this again because, like Sochi said, like, the first um, article I found, like, I thought it was promising. And then by the time I got so deep into it that I realized that it was the opposite of promising, I was like, I was, it was like the sunk cost fallacy. I was like, I got to keep going. Like, I got to get to the end. But the one that I picked this time, I'm, I actually, I think it's a really great article. Excuse me. Sorry, I, I just that had, it came like, out. I had 17 Rolos just now. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even a serving size, so you're, you're doing good. But I did notice that this study is from 2021, and we love, we love studies that are current. I know, I know. So, exciting. so 
And this is actually this is not a qualitative study. This was a quantitative study. It was <laughs> had um, multiple analyses, and it was very exciting. So uh, the, the title of the article that I'm going to talk about is, In the Case of Union Dissolution of Couples with Children, Who Decides to Avoid the Courts and Why? And this is by Amalia Gomez-Casillas, Mark Anjenjo, Anjenjo, anyway, uh, it's a great name, and Montserrat Solsona. And this was uh, published in the Journal of Family Issues this year, uh, actually like pretty recently. And there's a very specific reason for the wording that they use in the title, and we will get to that. But basically, Gomez Casillas and her colleagues begin their article by contrasting the increasing number of regulations, like legal regulations, that surround the process of getting legally married and then legally divorced with the increasing instability of cohabiting and marital relationships. So, you know, over the last not few years, but not hundreds of years. Um, we've, we've developed all of these kind of like legal rituals for, for marriage, but at the same time, like divorce rates have been rising and like it's not just divorce rates, but sort of relationship dissolution rates. So breakups in general. So the reason that they use the term union dissolution instead of divorce is because they want to look at people who are not only legally married, and wanting to separate or get divorced, but also people who have been cohabiting and like, you know, informally married for decades, but just never got legally married, but like still need mediation for the right. union dissolution. Do they, so is that like a, is that what a common law is in some states when you're married for longer than like a certain amount of decades? They just, the state is like, y'all are married. Yes. Yeah. Although common law is not as common as people think it is. No, it's actually, it's not a thing in the state that I live in currently. Yeah. And as we'll see, we're going to look at it from a little, we're going to look at, we're going to look at this from a little bit of a different perspective in this article. Divorce is good. <laughs> not, not quite Great that. Great for so, kids. But... <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese, basically. Two Christmases, two Thanksgivings, two birthdays, nothing but ups. Oh my God, wait, when we were driving home from Austin, I was at a conference last week and my husband and I were driving home from Austin and we saw a Chuck E. Cheese like by the side of the freeway and like they have really rebranded. It looked like super fancy, super clean. The logo is different. Like, <laughs> super clean, that is different. Like the logo, I was like, oh, it's clean inside of there. That's a oh clean God. place. You know, that's kind of what McDonald's did, too. They went through this whole, like, now they have, like, McCafes and stuff. Yeah. I don't buy it, okay? I don't. I'm never going in the ball pit. You can't make me. You can't trick me. I'm not doing it. There's poop in there, dude. I don't even want to touch children who have touched <laughs> the ball pit. Like, <laughs> I want someone to steal one of the balls from a McDonald's ball pit and send it to, like, what is that? A forensic investigator? Someone? Oh who can God, no! It I don't want to know. I need to know. You don't understand. <laughs> Since this knowledge, I I need to own it. I need it. Okay, wait. So you're telling us why divorce is good? <laughs> so, should we warn your husband? <laughs> the argument that the authors are making in this art article 
is that when a couple who is divorcing or dissolving their union is childless, there is, quote, no point in opting for legal proceedings. But that the benefits of legal proceedings when a divorcing couple has children, uh, so like a framework and external mediation for custody arrangements, alimony, scheduling, all that stuff, outweigh any drawbacks. So I thought that was, first of all, interesting that they were saying like, oh yeah, we don't have kids, like there's no point like in legal, legal proceedings. And I was like, uh, how about like when you own a house together and you need to split in up? this economy? <laughs> that was really an interesting, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I guess if you're just a couple of like 20 year old schmoes, you know, you've been renting your shared apartment, your lease is up, who cares? Well, what if you're, you know, in your 50s and you just never had children? That's true. Does it take into account which age range is the most likely or most often getting divorces? So we'll see. We'll see exactly how they chose to focus, um, who they chose to focus on. So okay. Okay. So based on the theory that when you have minor children, when a divorcing couple has minor children, that the benefits of a legal divorce or legal dissolution outweigh any drawbacks. They then explored three main research questions. So the first one is what proportion of divorcing couples reach out of court agreements? So basically how many or what percentage of, uh, of couples with minor children who are dissolving their union decide to settle the matter outside of court so they don't seek any legal proceedings? So that would be both people that were never legally married and people that were legally married who are saying, meh, we don't have to get this annulled, like, you know, kind of stricken from the record. We'll just, our marriage will stay legal, but we, we will agree that we're divorced. Wait, people, do people do that? Mm-hmm. How is that, what if you want to get remarried? So we'll talk about that too. Oh my god. Polygamy is not legal, <laughs> legal, folks. Like, you can't have a bunch of wives, okay? So the second research question is, what factors play a role in couples' choice to settle, re- like, this matters associated with the relationship di- dissolution in or out of court when children are involved? So basically, like, why... But they're focusing on, on why they settled it out of court. So basically, of the people that settled the matter out of court... Why did you choose this way? Because there are so many benefits of going through the judicial system. Like, why would you decide to settle it on your own? And then the third question is, what reasons do divorcing couples give for choosing to reach out-of-court agreements? Actually, wait, I just got question two and three mixed up. Two is literally just what factors, like, about the couple plays a role in, in what choice they make. Three is why. I'm a little tired. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. <laughs> oh, you're good. We'll go over this again later in the results. Okay. So as you might have guessed from the researchers' names, which I brutally mispronounced just minutes ago, this study was <laughs> conducted in Spain. But what you might not know is that marital dissolution or divorce was only legalized in Spain in 1981. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, is it because, and I, I'm really not meaning to be offensive, and please tell me if this is offensive to ask. I hear, I am under the assumption that Spain 
is a pretty Catholic country. Yes. Yeah. Does that, that play into it. it? Yeah. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I know that Catholicism is not okay. They don't recognize divorce, do they? It's it's like not a thing for Catholics. I don't think Catholics recognize divorce. Right. Because that's the whole like King. I don't want to like because you know King Henry the Eighth, but I I know that that was like you know so long ago that I don't know if it's yeah. Still a thing. I don't think that they like the church. The Catholic Church formally recognizes divorce, but I don't think that's the only reason that it was only legalized in 1981. Like, it, it was probably like a really big part of it. Right. And so, if you are Catholic and you get divorced, do you think? I don't even know where I was going with that. I was just, you know, do you think that they consider themselves like kind of still married if they're really devoutly Catholic, even if like the law says that they're not married anymore? Do you think anyone's like, well, God says that I am? So. Probably, honestly, like some people have a really hard time letting go. Right. And I can see them like that being a justification for them. Right. So, okay, so this is interesting to me as well because I actually don't know if this is how we do it in the US. But in Spain, the Spanish legal system treats legal relationship dissolutions the same way when it comes to families who have minor children, regardless of whether the couple was ever legally married so i don't think that's how we do it yeah that sounds very smart though i know well it's because like okay if you have people that have been together for 20 years and have a 14 year old and a 10 year old um and you have and they just have been living together for that long and you have a couple who's legally married in the exact same situation like why would you treat them separately right and with so american values are very heavily weighted with the like overall value of individualism and so i feel like we see marriages somewhat different as a lot of other countries like we might not see them fully as unions because you know even when i like remember when bill gates and his wife were getting his ex-wife were getting a divorce everyone was like oh well why would she get half they were only married for 30 years and have three children together see they don't see that as a partnership they see it as anything they did while married um it, it was just what they were doing alone and they just happened to be married to each other. Yeah. Whereas in other places, I think it's more of like the culture of marriage is like, no, no, no. Once you get married, it's not that you, you both are just one person now. It's that you're a team. You're a team of people going forward. That's a really interesting point. I hadn't considered that, but like that does seem very, very, very accurate. Sociology major, baby. Hell yeah. So yeah, so they treat... They treat everyone the same, regardless of whether they've had a legal marriage or not. And basically, when you go through uh, the legal system in Spain to get a union dissolution or a divorce, it goes in one of two ways. So when the couple and or their lawyers agree on union dissolution stipulations, so basically the all of the responsibilities of both of the couple partners and exactly how they want the divorce to proceed and who gets custody when they agree on all of that. The court uses the mutual agreement procedure and basically everything goes according to what the couple wants. So the judge just signs off. So this has the benefit of each partner having basically like a legal precedent for everything. So not only can you kind of point to the court documents in cases where you know you're not sure who gets the kids that weekend but also if one of the people is not holding up their end of the stick 
bargain, <laughs> then, um, you know, you, you can, again, take them to court because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The other hand is when the divorcing couple can't come to an agreement. They're having kind of a contentious divorce. The judge will have the final say on the matters that they can't agree on. And so the benefit right. in this case is that the issue will eventually have a resolution based on the decision of an impartial mediator who is acting with the best interests of the family. So at the end of the day, you know, no one has to be in the difficult situation of being like, I totally disagree with you, like, but fine, whatever, or I totally disagree with you, like, you know, I'm just going to do what I want. Mm -hmm. Because you have someone who's like, no, <laughs> here's what you should do. Right. Nice. I like that. This seems like a very good system so far. Yeah, I think it is a good system. And that's why it's so surprising that one in five Spanish divorcing couples with minor children choose to settle the union dissolution informally outside of court. So uh, does it, are these proceedings very expensive? Um, Could that be a factor? They'll go over that. It's not prohibitively expensive. Okay, cool. Um, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So basically, like, you've made a good point. Like, there's definitely reasons that we can think of why they might choose to not use legal system. But, like, there's been no actual formal investigation on a wide scale of being like, okay, this 20% of people who are not using the legal system when they're divorcing, like, why? Why are you not doing mm -hmm. it when it has so many benefits? It's a high percentage too, you know, it's not like, I don't know, 2% I know. don't go through courts. That's crazy. Especially when it seems like very simple. If you can figure it out informally outside of court, why not just file it and be official to have it just in case? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really curious. And, you know, we don't know why these families are doing this, but we also don't know how they're doing after, like, like how they do you know in terms of actually keeping the family healthy and childcare and that kind of stuff because investigations looking at family outcomes after divorce a lot of them use available like publicly available available judicial data to find their participants because otherwise like how would you know who right. is divorced in order to contact them <laughs> on like a wide scale other than looking at like public kind of awkward if you see like a couple in a park as a researcher and you're like do you guys feel solid <laughs> exactly here's my card <laughs> so we don't know very much about these families and so before they the authors of this study kind of actually started the study like good researchers, they tried to look for previous literature to inform their investigation. But like I said, there is such limited data on the outcomes of these families that like, there's really nothing there. But yeah. there is some research that may provide some clues as to why they chose to avoid the legal system in the first place, even if we don't know how they're doing after. So first, in US samples, uh, legal relationship dissolutions tend to take longer when the families involved have a lower socioeconomic status. So the authors thought that maybe that threat might induce families with a lower socioeconomic status to just resolve things informally rather than go through months or years 
of battling through the legal system. Right. Second, there may be cultural factors that influence the decision to get the legal system involved in, in family matters. So the authors wrote that, uh, quote, some couples might balk at the judicialization of their intimacy. And that's kind of a phrase that they use throughout the article, which is this idea that intimate family processes are not, they shouldn't be governed by sort of legal justices or, or outsiders, really. Right. I mean, I can totally see why people would feel that way. I think, um, that's another sort of like looking at a marriage as a union rather than a transaction. But the issue that I always come to with that is when it comes to making end of life decisions Mm -hmm. or if your shared child is in the hospital, it's very important in America, at least I can't speak for other countries, to have your name in some way legally connected to that person or that child or else you Like, there was a whole huge issue for a very, very long time with same-sex couples where they would be entirely shut out of every single decision-making factor in their partner's lives or deaths. It was very sad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, though, and something that the authors definitely took into account is that you have, if you are legally married, you have already decided to let other people into your intimate relationships right (laughs) which is why they suggested that maybe couples who were cohabiting throughout the course of their relationship without actually ever getting legally married would be especially like reluctant to go through the legal system to divorce and also couples who had a kind of a cooperative approach to the end of the relationship they were like friendly uh, they wanted you know, things to work out, they might feel that they just didn't need to go through the court system. Like, they're on the same page. They don't need a mediator. And then there was also reason to believe that couples who uh, had immigrated to Spain might not want the hassle of going through the legal system because going through court proceedings to, to have a legal dissolution might impede on or interfere with or just kind of it would be complicated to have that happening while they're already going through the legal process to gain citizenship or you know it would be complicated trying to dissolve a marriage that was you know the was initially entered into in another country 20 years ago right so those those cultural factors they thought might play a role third The authors thought that maybe having older children may change uh, these couples' perceptions about the necessity of a formalized legal agreement regarding custody and other things like visiting arrangements, financial support, because the kids were going to be out of the house very soon anyway. Yeah, if your kid's like 17. Yeah. I mean. (laughs) Yeah. So like. They can make pretty good decisions at that point exactly so it's like okay if you have older kids like there's no point in going through this hassle especially if we're doing it mostly for the kid versus if you have younger kids then you're probably like oh no like we should probably work this out yeah and then finally they considered a factor that may increase the likelihood that the divorcing couple would pursue legal would pursue legal proceedings oh and i i'm using the word divorce all the way through 
I don't mean just people that are leaving a legal marriage, but also people oh, yeah. who have an informal, yeah, yeah, marital relationship. Well, in Spain, you know, they have the same thing. So yeah, exactly. In our Spanish study, <laughs> yes. So this is one that you brought up, but they thought that having a new romantic partner in the picture of either one of the couple's uh, partners' lives would really increase the likelihood that they would want to get a formal legal dissolution Mm -hmm. for exactly the reason you mentioned which is like if you kind of see yourself sometime in the future wanting to marry this new person like you cannot have that old marriage hanging around did they also look into did anyone cheat did anyone what (laughs) were any of these were any of these marriages ending because of infidelity yes but uh the authors actually Mm -hmm. found that and i'm cheating a little bit but uh, whether or not the marriage en- ended in infid- or the, the presence of infidelity ending the marriage had no impact on whether they chose in court or out of court divorce proceedings, which is interesting because it implies that they were equally likely to be able to cooperate in order to resolve this than go through the court system. That's so weird to me. That really surprised me. Yeah. If I got cheated on with a small child, I would. I would take that person to court. I know. I would see for emotional damages. I know. It was that was really interesting. Okay, let's actually get to results. I just spoiled it. So, um, so about their methods. Okay, they used an interesting method that I've never seen before, which is that they used NetQuest, which is apparently a service that invites participants to participate in the study if they meet the eligibility requirements that are set by the researchers. So people don't opt into your study. You use this service that reaches out to people and asks them like, hey, do you want to participate in this study? So like through email? Hmm? Like through email? It wasn't clear. Uh, I assume it was some combination of maybe email and phone. That's interesting. I wonder if they're, like, partnered with anyone, like, um, like, WhatsApp or something. I don't know. But they did say that, like, it was a very, it's been kind of, the use of this service has previously been validated. That's cool. That yeah. sounds cool. Yeah. So, participants were recruited from six Spanish aut- autonomous communities, um, and this resulted in a sam- total sample of 750 individuals. Uh, they got 50% men, 50% women, which was amazing. Because we know that women tend to volunteer more. <laughs> All of these individuals. Did they, was it couples specifically? No. Or is it just people? These were individuals. Okay, cool. Yeah, that is crazy. Wow, 50-50. All right. I, Spain. Cool. Right? Because I looked at that and I thought, why are they telling us 50-50 if they're using couples? And I was like, wait, no, they're <laughs> not. Ooh. So it's oh, and 35 to 55. So a little a little older yes yeah, so they every person was between the ages of 35 and 55 i think just because those tend to be the people that have minor children but are going through divorce right um and uh they had to have at least one child under 16 years old at the time of relationship dissolution and the relationship dissolution had to have occurred between 2010 and 2017 okay cool pretty recent so if a participant did not use a judicial proceeding to dissolve their relationship, they were considered to have had an out-of-court agreement. So even if they consulted lawyers and the lawyers drew up something, if they never went through the court to get those papers recognized, 
uh, that doesn't count as having an in-court agreement because like those lawyers documents are not legally binding oh so why would you do that pizzazz <laughs> <laughs> just in case you want to go to court later i, don't I guess <laughs> yeah you could you could bring them to court later you just, i guess you just have to have them go through but Right. Yeah. So um, each individual was classified into three different socioeconomic status levels, ranging from low to high, uh, based on the answers to a series of questions like their level of education, occupation, income, and so on. They also considered whether the uh, couples were cohabiting during the course of their union dissolution. So while they were getting divorced, were they still living together? The distribution of caregiving responsibilities between partners, and this was used as a proxy for a cooperativeness. So if there was about 50-50 caregiving, they they identified the couple as being highly cooperative. Nice. And the presence of at least one partner who was an immigrant to Spain. And finally, they considered the age of the minor children involved, and they actually also included uh, the number of children in analyses. Nice. And I forgot what analyses they did because they didn't really mention them, but I think they did a logistic regression, which is basically where you enter a bunch of predictors in order to predict a binary, like, dichotomous variable. So in this case, it was use the legal system or didn't use the legal system. And they predicted it with, like, a bunch of different variables. So as expected, based on previous data, about one in five couples chose to dissolve their relationship without any legal proceedings. So we got that 20%. It's actually 19.6%. Okay, so this is where, and I'll explain this later, but basically 14% of the whole sample said that they chose to dissolve their relationship without legal proceedings because they and their partner had reached a verbal agreement. So basically they were able to decide on things and were happy uh, with that. 4.4% uh, said that they would get around to a legal dissolution at some point in the future. Nice procrastination. So like, nice. oh yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get to it. Fair. But like, but at that point, considered their relationship dissolved. And then 1.2% actually had not come to any agreement regarding anything. So they said, oh yeah, we're done. But like, we don't know how custody is going to play out. And we don't know how the financials are going to play out. And we don't know this and that and the other thing. At what point do you just stay together? Oh, I know. Yeah. For convenience. I know. Once you've, like, I don't know, put in five to ten years, it's like, I don't know. At this point, you just know me really well. I don't need to tell you my Chipotle order. You know it. <laughs> yeah. And that could be kind of what those 1.2% are feeling. It's like, oh, we've been doing this forever. Like, we know this isn't, like, a great relationship. Like, we don't want to be here. But, like, it's a lot to figure out. That's fine. <laughs> so those percentages were based on the total 100% of participants who had dissolved their relationship, describing the reasons that each percentage of the 19.6% did so out of court. Right. And I hated that, and I was going to convert those <laughs> to re reflect the percentage out of 196 but I'm actually so tired right now that I don't think I could do it. You know what? I actually think it does make sense, though. So it's like saying 20 people out of 100 that we surveyed said that they were settling out of court. 14 of those people said it was because of this. Four of those people said it was because of this. And two of those people had no fucking clue what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's pretty true. Yeah. 
So See, I was I too tired to even realize that. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of math. But yeah, so I mean, right, the majority is like, oh, it's it's like it's just because we were able to figure this out together and we were fine. So of the majority of the couples who chose to go through the judicial procedure to go through the court, 63.5% used mutual agreement proceedings, meaning that they came to an agreement, the court basically just put their stamp on it, so it was legal. While 16.9% indicated that their union dissolution was contentious. That's actually a pretty small amount of contentious dissolutions considering how stressful and horrible it is to get a divorce yeah that's true that's true Mm. and the thing is like and they mentioned this at the very end and i thought this was very pertinent because i didn't think about this but a lot of a lot of families don't go through these proceedings once every couple of years they change their agreement right to reflect the kids getting older different arrangements that are needed etc yeah if someone moves. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting because um, that actually would be a factor that might prevent me from going through the legal, pers- like the legal system is like knowing that I'm going to have to pay money and go through all that time and effort like every few years. Oh, uh, like boob jobs. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. So in terms of their actual predictors, having a lower socioeconomic status cohabiting wait this is incorrect hang on sorry this is so weird my um my document didn't save for some reason mm-hmm. having a higher socioeconomic status cohabiting during the course of the relationship dissolution and having at least one couple partner who was an immigrant at the time of the dissolution increased the likelihood of choosing to settle the dissolution out of court on the other hand, the presence of a new romantic partner increased the likelihood of choosing to go through <laughs> legal proceedings to get that, that marriage formally <laughs> dissolved. Right. Egal, that makes sense. It, yeah, oh, I know. If you have money and one of you, you know, is an immigrant, that's a whole other set of Wait, paperwork. no, I, I did it. I, I took it back. Hang on. I like second guess myself. If you don't have money and don't one of you is an money. immigrant... <laughs> And that adds a lot of people. Okay, listen, this is because they actually wrote it in a really confusing way in the article, and I had to read it a couple different times to figure out what they were saying. Is this like our Greek article where we chalk that up to it being translated? <laughs> no, it was written really well. It was just, they were trying to use, like, and now I know my advisor tells me, like, don't use flowery language, like, use simple language. Because they were trying to, like, be all, like, rephrase things in different ways, and I was like, no, it's fine. Like, just say the same thing over and over in the same way. Like, I just want to understand right. it. It's me trying to hit the word count. <laughs> okay, so interestingly, cooperativeness, so which they measured using kind of egalitarian distribution of childcare, uh, didn't have any influence on whether couples chose to settle out of court or not. Hmm. So that was interesting to me. I guess for me it made sense maybe because I don't know if if egalitarian distribution of childcare is an accurate proxy for cooperativeness right huh ah <laughs> yeah and that having is an interesting phrase egalitarian distribution of childcare yeah hmm. it was it was interesting having two or more minor children increased the likelihood of settling the dissolution out of court 
and according to expectations you know that they put forth originally so did having a child between the ages of 10 and 15 so those older kids uh, well having a child between the ages of five and nine increase the likelihood of settling matters in court but contrary to expectations having a teenager so a child uh, i guess a 16 year old or maybe they're just looking at 13 to 16 uh, had no influence on whether parents chose to go through the legal system or not okay yeah i can see that once you're a teenager it's like all right we can figure this out what is interesting to no me, but it like if they had a teenager they were equally likely to choose to go through the legal system or settle it out of court right because you know once they're they get to a certain age the parents are like okay well no matter what we can figure it out with them because we can calmly explain to them the situation that's true um, but I would think the more children you have, the more likely you would be to go to court. So one thing they talked about was that in Spain, having more children decreases the likelihood that you will get divorced or that you will dissolve oh, okay. your marriage. So maybe this was just a way to kind of do it in a more relaxed way. So it didn't feel as much like, like you were actually divorcing. Right. That makes sense. This is so funny we're doing this episode today because in class today, we, like, it was the divorce class. So it's very interesting. Oh, hey. <laughs> so, you should have listened to this podcast. Oh, my God, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so putting this all together, we know that most established couples, so people who have been together for a while, they have a couple kids who avoid going through the court to dissolve their marital relationship do so because they've reached an informal agreement about how to proceed and about how to navigate this. A friendlier relationship between couple partners who are dissolving their union, having kids in the house who are close to moving out, but not too close, and the presence <laughs> of one couple partner who was an immigrant all appear to be factors that made the legal process seem like too much trouble than it was worth. But once a new romantic partner was involved, having a legal divorce seems much more important. Egalitarian forms of childcare distribution, so those in which each partner has about equal responsibilities when it comes to minor children, were about equally likely to occur in families who had settled the union dissolution out of court and those who come to a formal agreement. But egalitarian forms of childcare was were were far less likely among families who had undergone content had undergone contentious judicial proceedings. So, if you had had a contentious divorce, it was far more likely that one parent would have sole or majority custody. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That was huh. interesting to me. So kind of like an all or nothing situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you can either be friends, or you don't get your kids. <laughs> okay. Oh my God so oh sorry i just got something in my contact the today is not going my way cut this to make me seem coherent please no i'll definitely cut this <laughs> definitely contrary to expectations having a high socioeconomic status actually increased the likelihood that families would settle the relationship dissolution informally out of court and this was opposite to their original prediction and they thought that this might be possibly partially driven by low ses families getting more benefits from going through the legal system 
like becoming eligible for subsidized housing and being able to enroll children in public schools close to the custodial parents' new home. Um, And they did note that low SES couple partners are more likely to seek divorce as a result of domestic violence or drug use or things like that, really serious problems. While high SES couple partners generally kind of divorce because of less serious problems, and they may, Mm. those high SES couple partners may see the relationship as possibly eventually being reconcilable, so they don't really want to completely close the door on the relationship. Whereas the low SES couple partners who are divorcing because of domestic violence are doing so because the relationship is unbearable and they need they need to get out of it. Right. Although, you know, again, this isn't descriptive of all relationships. It's just like likelihood. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, high SES individuals are, you know, likely to find it easier to bear the financial burden of judicial proceedings and maybe more invested in protecting each par- uh, partner's financial assets. So this is a weird finding and future research is needed tbd tbd (laughs) so that is all i have for today oh biggity boy (laughs) so once again i feel like that is reflected in our pop culture connect Ooh, but we do need to remember that we are dealing with incredibly high status Mm -hmm. people going into this Um, but I'm excited because Angelina and her children are doing some very interesting things within the court system. So I'm excited to get your take on that. Okay. So you know who Angelina Jolie is? I do. Finally. That's so exciting. (laughs) When you know. (laughs) I'm excited. Angelina Jolie is an American actress, filmmaker, and humanitarian. She's probably best known for her roles in films that Siri has never seen, like Girl Interrupted, Lara Croft Tomb Raider, and Maleficent, and many, many more. She has been named Hollywood's highest paid actress several times, and as usual, I will be sharing a list of her most major awards to give you an idea of how iconic she is. Once again, this is not a complete list of her awards, because that would take literally an hour. She won a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress, Series, Miniseries, or Television Film for the film George Wallace, a Golden Globe Award for Best Actress, Miniseries, or Television Film, and a Screen Actors Oh whoops. Yeah, and a Screen Actors Guild Award for an Outstanding Female Actor, Miniseries, or Television Movie for the film Gia. The way that they write out these awards is made to trip me up. <laughs> An Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress, a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actress, Motion Picture, and a Screen Actors Guild Award for Outstanding Supporting Female Actor for the film Girl Interrupted. She has obviously um, also been nominated for many more awards, and her overall appearance has been fawned over for decades. She has often been identified by publications such as Vogue, People, and Vanity Fair as the most beautiful woman in the world. And others like Esquire, FHM, and Empire have named her the sexiest woman alive. Those are apparently two different things. I can see it. I can see other different things. (laughs) Both titles were mostly based on public polls in which Angelina placed far ahead of other celebrity women, although her looks may have also contributed to troubles with taking her seriously as an actress. For example, after the movies Tomb Raider and Beowulf came out, Empire not so subtly inferred that Angelina's movies are so successful, at least in part, due to her, quote, pneumatic figure, feline eyes, and bee stung lips. <laughs> okay, wait. I remember last time we discussed, like, what pneumatic means, and I cannot for the life of me 
Remember? It means sparky. Sparky? New, wait, how can you have a pneumatic, a sparky figure? Honestly, I think Empire just didn't want to say bangin'. Pneumatic? They thought pneumatic figure sounded more official than bam and slammin'. When a female is described as pneumatic, it means she has large breasts. Which she doesn't. That's interesting. <laughs> oh, it's also a clever way to call someone an airhead. <gasps> so that does relate uh, to them not taking her seriously. I'm guessing okay, because they're seeing women yeah. with big boobs as airheads. Um, she also has many tattoos, which is still largely considered unusual for famous actresses. Yeah. And was even more unusual in the late 90s to early 2000s. I mean, we all remember what happened to Sandra Bullock's boyfriend, even though, you know, it wasn't just the tattoos. He was a dick. Her tattoos include the Latin proverb, quad me nutrit, me destruit. (laughs) Classic Latin. What nourishes me destroys me. The Tennessee Williams quote, a prayer for the wild at heart kept in cages. And the geographical coordinates of where she met her first adopted children. First met her adopted children. Sorry. She has all of her children on there, not Mm. just, yeah. She is also an impassioned advocate for human rights and has been recognized many times for her humanitarian efforts. Just so I don't spend another hour going through all of that, I'm going to severely summarize it to this passage. In August 2002, she received the inaugural Humanitarian Award from the Church World Services Immigration and Refugee Program. In October 2003, she was the first recipient of the Citizen of the World Award by the United Nations Correspondent Association. She was awarded the Global Humanitarian Award by the UNAUSA in October 2005. She received the Freedom Award for the International Rescue Committee in November 2007. In October 2011, UN High Commissioner for Refugees Antonio Gutierrez presented Jolie with a gold pin reserved for the most long-serving staff in recognition of her decade as a UNHCR Goodwill Ambassador. In November 2013, Jolie received the Jean John Herschelt Humanitarian Award, an Honorary Academy Award from the Board of Governors and the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. In June 2014, she was appointed an Honorary Dame Commander of the Order of St. Michael and St. George for her services in the UK's foreign policy and campaigning to end sexual violence in war zones, which, excuse me, I totally forgot about that. She's actually Dame uh, Angelina Jolie, right? But I don't think I don't think she actually. It's like an honorary thing. I think that's so sick, though. So I will try my that's best. Pretty cool. In future, Queen Elizabeth. Oh yeah, and here we go. Queen Elizabeth II herself presented Jolie with the insignia of her honorary damehood during a private ceremony the following October. So the Queen says that she is a dame. I accept. <laughs> Who's Brad Pitt? You know Brad Pitt. Yes, I've seen one movie. I've seen World War Z. I very much enjoyed it. I loved World War Z. It was really good. I also love Seven. Um, You liked what? Seven is one of my favorite. Seven is one of my favorite horror movies. I feel like I did see Seven, but like I don't know. Like I couldn't. I wouldn't be able to recognize his voice. Yeah, and he's a handsome man, but he is hard to pick out of a lineup, isn't he? (laughs) Um, Brad Pitt is an American actor and film producer, not to be confused with Brad Pitt, the Australian boxer who's pretty easy to pick out of a lineup because he's boxing a kangaroo. (laughs) He's probably best known for his roles in films like Fight Club, also known as Grown Up Calvin and Hobbes, Interview with a Vampire, Seven, and World War Z. He has been cited as one of the most influential men in the entertainment industry, as well as the most handsome man in the world. Beg to differ. He has won so many awards over the course of his career, it warrants its own wiki page, which I don't see very often, even with how much time I spend on celebrities' Wikipedia pages. (laughs) So let's break it down. He has 
two Academy Awards, one for Best Picture for 12 Years a Slave, and one for Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one British Academy Film Award for Best Supporting Actor for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, two Golden Globes for Best Supporting Actor Motion Picture, one for 12 Monkeys, and one for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, one Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Television Movie for The Normal Heart, two Screen Actors Guild Awards, one for Outstanding Ensemble Cast in a Motion Picture for Inglorious Bastards, and one for Outstanding Actor in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And many, many more. Wait, can I just say, Pace, so my husband and I, we, we we were like, oh, we should see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I guess, like, we forgot who we were for, like, a second. Like, we just blacked out and thought we were completely different people. So we bought tickets, and we went, and then we went to theater, and we went and sat down. And then, like, we, like, remembered who we were. <laughs> and we literally got up and left and walked into another movie, like, after five minutes. I think you did mention that on our Vanessa Hudgens Austin Butler episode. Yeah, because you he was in that he was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you said I think I walked out of that movie and watched Ant Man. Oh yes, it was. I I was wondering why I had Paul Rudd in my head, but it was because we went to see Ant Man <laughs> instead. <laughs> yep. That's very funny. Yeah, it's not okay. Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Fight Club. These movies are fantastic. They're really good. But they fall into the category of Pulp Fiction and, I want to say, American Psycho, where if you meet a man and he says that any of those movies are his favorite movie, Run. he might kill you. <laughs> he yeah. might kill you. Um, especially American Psycho, because they miss the point of that movie a lot. I've known a lot of film bros in my time. You know, I'm speaking from experience here. <laughs> he has also been named a sex symbol by many sources, including Empire, hey, who named him one of the 25 sexiest stars in film history in 1995. But did they compliment he was also his bee-stung lips? They didn't mention anything specifically, but I will say myself, I think he does have a rather pneumatic figure. <laughs> He's very smart, so... He was also named People's Sexiest Man Alive in 1995 and 2000. He was on Forbes' annual Celebrity 100 list of the 100 most powerful celebrities from 2006 to 2008, placing at numbers 20, 5, and 10, respectively. In 2007, he appeared on the Time 100 list. The magazine credited Brad for using his, quote, star power to get people to look to where the cameras don't usually catch. <laughs> that sounds really bad i don't they did not provide more specifications on where he was getting people to look where the camera wasn't looking because i find that very impressive because usually during a movie you only see what the camera is seeing you have to so the thing is okay so this is what i think maybe they didn't understand you have to edit what the intern writes before you publish it (laughs) that's the problem here it's true He was on Time 100 again in 2009, but this time in the Builders and Titans list. So, he's a titan now. And a builder. And or a builder. (laughs) Or a builder? One or the other? Um, it's Builders and Titans, so I suppose he must be both. And, not only is he a builder and a titan, he's also a humanitarian. He supports One Campaign, an organization aimed at combating AIDS and poverty in the developing world, and alongside George Clooney, Matt Damon, Don Cheadle, David Pressman, and Jerry Weintraub, Brad is one of the founders of the Not On Our Watch, 
uh, organization that focuses global attention on stopping mass atrocities. Hmm. I love the name. <laughs> Not on our watch. Not, on- Not when you've got builders and titans uh, got, uh, who have an eye on that. In 2006, he founded the Make It Right Foundation, organizing housing professionals in New Orleans to finance and construct 150 sustainable, affordable new houses in New Orleans' Ninth Ward following the devastation caused by Hurricane Katrina. Nice. Hmm. Also in 2006, Brad and Angelina established a charitable organization, the Jolie Pitt Foundation, to aid humanitarian causes around the world. The foundation made initial donations of $1 million each to Global Action for Children and Doctors Without Borders, followed by an October 2006 donation of $100,000 to the Daniel Pearl Foundation, an organization created in the memory of the late American journalist Daniel Pearl. According to federal filings, Brangelina invested $8.5 million in the foundation in 2006. It gave away $2.4 million in 2006 and $3.4 million in 2007. In June 2009, the Jolie Pitt Foundation donated $1 million to UN Refugee Agency to help Pakistanis displaced by fighting between troops and Taliban militants. In January 2010, the foundation donated $1 million to Doctors Without Borders for emergency medical assistance to help victims of the Haiti earthquake. So is this, is the Jolie Pitt Foundation still in existence now? As far as I know, yes it is. Okay. They're not going to like rename it or anything? (laughs) I think actually they did a lot for COVID aid. Hmm. Okay. Which is cool. Hmm. So how did they get together? The couple first met while filming the movie Mr. and Mrs. Smith in the summer of 2004. During the movie, and a little after, it came out they denied any rumors about romance between them, but they later confirmed this is where they fell in love. Which is pretty unfortunate for Brad's wife at that time, Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> yeah, I can see how that might be a little, uh, little up, uprooting. <laughs> it's not great. In January of 2005, Brad and Jennifer announced that they are separating after five years of marriage, and in March, Jen filed for divorce, citing irreconcilable differences. I feel like that's the most common. So one they bit. didn't have a kid at that point, right? Brad and Jennifer. Jennifer doesn't have any kids. But they still chose to go through the court system. <laughs> they probably had some assets that they needed <laughs> to separate. That's fair. In July of 2005, after Angelina returned from a trip to Kenya, photos of the trip break and revealing that Brad had attended the vacation with Angelina. Okay, so hang on. Ew. January of 2005, Brad and Jennifer separated. March 2005, they filed for divorce. July of 2005, they went, Brad and Angelina went on vacation to Kenya together. Oh, wait, no. In March, they did. She returned. In July, Angelina returned from a trip to Kenya that he had gone on with her. Right. The photos were apparently taken between April and March. Later that month, Angelina travels to Ethiopia and adopts her second child, Zahara, and Brad comes with her on that trip, too. So who is her first kid? Her first kid's name I am blanking on. Ah, it's right on the tip of my tongue. All of their kids have such crazy names. <laughs> it's okay. So she had, her, she had her first kid just by herself, and then... Maddox. Her first kid's name is Maddox. Maddox. So she had him by herself. And then she meets Brad, and, like, months later, he comes with her to grab her second child. To adopt, to up. the adoption of her second child, which I've never adopted a child before or dated Brad Pitt. 
<laughs> if I had only been seeing him for a few months, if I'd been only seeing anyone for a few months, including Brad Pitt, they would not be present. Maybe my mom would be there. <laughs> Maybe you, as my sister, would be there <laughs> to meet my child for the first time. But my boyfriend? No, maybe not. It's an interesting arrangement. In January of 2006, three months after Brad and Jen's divorce is finalized, Brangelina announced that Angelina's pregnant. To, that's a rough one. So that was um, a year after Brad and Jen separated and like maybe nine months after they filed for a divorce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it took a long time for their divorce to be finalized. Yeah, yeah. The court system is crazy. Mm-hmm. Also around this time, Brad adopts Angelina's two kids, Maddox and Zahara, and they change their last names to Jolie Pitt. See, this is what surprised me, because I was like, I was like, I don't know what judge, and maybe this is just me, but like, looked at this and was like, oh, yeah, you've been together for a year? Sounds great. You can adopt her children. Awesome. I think this was another example of the courts working differently for famous people pretty people yeah (laughs) for sure because that's crazy yeah and also these aren't not that it would make it like actually yeah i think it does make it a little weirder these aren't babies you know Mm -hmm. maddox is like i don't know six or seven at this point i don't know (laughs) Mm -hmm. that seems strange to me yeah so Angelina is very pregnant, and she also happens to be Angelina Jolie, and the baby happens to be fathered by Brad Pitt, and so people went so crazy about their first biological child that the couple actually mildly fled to Namibia for the birth. Some news outlets said that their child was the most anticipated baby since Jesus. <laughs> oh my god. That feels like <laughs> In a very May 2006. <laughs> Uh, that's so crazy news outlets were going wild back then (laughs) that was a golden age for tabloid magazines in may 2006 shiloh jolie pitt is born in october 2006 brad addresses rumors and questions about when he and angelina are going to get married he said he won't marry angelina until quote everyone else in the country who wants to be married is legally able In December of 2006, the couple attends their first red carpet together and stun with just how good they look together. They've already, they already have three kids together. This is the first time they're appearing in public. Well, not appearing, you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they've only been together for like In March 2007, they adopt their fourth child, (laughs) Pax, from Vietnam. And soon after, in February 2008, Angelina reveals she's pregnant again. A lot of kids happening. No judgments. So many children. Maybe one or two. (laughs) A few months later in May, she corrects that she is pregnant with twins. She told Entertainment Weekly, quote, we weren't expecting twins, so it did shock us. Is anyone ever expecting twins? Fair. (laughs) I mean, people who do IVF, maybe. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, I think not if you're just conceiving, quote unquote, naturally. Their twins, Knox Leon and Vivian Marcheline, were born in Nice, France in July 2008. And when asked about what it's like having a family of six, Angelina said, quote, it is chaos, but we are managing it and having a wonderful time. Yeah, they say things like that, but then I'm like, okay, but I know that you have like five nannies and round the clock housekeeping help and et cetera. Exactly. (laughs) And I will say, yes, Angelina Jolie does seem as if she genuinely adores having 
Yeah. Like a gaggle of children. And in interviews before she even, like, ever had children, started adopting children, because she eventually became known as, like, the adopting lady, Mm -hmm. um, she talked about kids a lot. Mm -hmm. She loves kids. You know, she always wanted a big family. So um, I kind of believe her, but I also, yeah, she does have a nanny for every kid, a housekeeper for every nanny, and an assistant for her. <laughs> I want to know maybe on, two. I want to know how old she was when she adopted her first kid because I didn't know that um that she adopted her first kid or that she had her first I assume adopted her first kid by herself before her she met Brad Pitt. I assumed that they had all of their kids together. But did she have her first kid in a previous relationship? No. She adopted Maddox herself. Okay. Children, six. It doesn't even give their names because she has so many children. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's see if I can remember them. Maddox, Shiloh, Zahara, Pax, Knox. I can't remember the twins' middle names. Uh, they both have two names. Knox and Vivian. I think Boom. got all of them. Um, so she adopted her first child in March 2002. Oh, okay. After visiting Cambodia while filming Lara Croft Tomb Raider and on a UNHCR field mission, Jolie returned in November 2001 with her husband, Billy Bob Thornton, where they met and subsequently applied to adopt Maddox. The adoption process was halted when the U.S. government banned adoptions from Cambodia amid allegations of child trafficking. Although Jolie's adoption facilitator was later convicted of visa fraud and money laundering, her adoption of oh Maddox God. was deemed lawful. Once the process was finally, she took custody of Maddox in Namibia. Jolie and Thornton had announced the adoption together, but she adopted Maddox alone and became a single parent following her separation from Thornton three months later. I never do hear much about Thornton. Yeah. In 2009, Ian Halperin's book, Brangelina, The Untold Story of Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, was released, and in it, the author, who claims to have consulted nearly 900 sources, makes many shocking accusations, including that Brad cheated on Angelina. I also have to say, when we did our sleep episode, I did see claims that Brangelina sleeps separately because of fights they have or have had, but decided not to include them in that episode because the source of the claim seemed kind of flimsy to me. Mm-hmm. So a lot of rumors are going down surrounding this couple, which is normal for any celebrity couple. But what's really weird is the energy around these claims. I don't know of many other celebrity couples who've gotten whole books written about their relationship by third parties. Yeah. I don't even know 900 people. <laughs> let alone could they comment on my personal life know, and relationships. So crazy. In July 2010, Brangelina sued News of the World for publishing a false report that they had broken up and win. <laughs> people are always trying to just like... <laughs> In November of 2010, marriage rumors start flying again after Johnny Depp refers to Brad as Angelina's husband in an interview with Vanity Fair. Mm. In April 2012, Angelina is seen wearing a $1 million diamond ring, and Brad's manager confirms the engagement, saying, Yes, it's confirmed. It is a promise for the future, and their kids are very happy. There's no set date at this time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, a million dollars. (laughs) For a ring... And wait, do you even wear your engagement ring after you get married? You do. 
Oh, usually okay. they're part like... of the set. Oh, okay. That's, well, Jesus. <laughs> Around this time, Angelina finds out that her risk for breast cancer is at 87%. Her mother, actress Marceline Bertrand, had breast cancer and later died of ovarian cancer, and her grandmother also died of ovarian cancer. Angelina has been very open about her prevention efforts for both breast and ovarian cancer. Her surgeries ended up triggering early menopause as well as other complications, but her risk of of getting them has been severely reduced by her actions. In May of 2013, Angelina reveals in a New York Times op-ed that she elected to undergo a preventative double mastectomy. She writes, I am fortunate to have a partner, Brad Pitt, who is so loving and supportive. Brad was at the Pink Lotus Breast Cancer Center, oh sorry, Pink Lotus Breast Center, where I was treated for every minute of the surgeries. We managed to find moments to laugh together. We knew this was the right thing to do for our family and that it would bring us closer together, and it has. Um, That is so scary and Mm -hmm. such a hard decision to have to make. And I think I appreciate her so much for making herself so vulnerable and putting herself in such a tough position to share that experience with the world. Yeah, especially because it'll Especially because people were commenting on her tits all the time. Yeah, but also I think it'll probably make it easier for, like, other people in that situation to be like, Oh, I could do this. Sorry. I don't sleep very much anymore. Um, Because, like, (laughs) oh, I've seen, I've already seen her do it, like, in a very public way. If they don't know anyone else, right, who's gone through that, like, having someone in the media. Right. Yeah, so I think that was amazing. And I love Angelina Jolie so much. And I'm so glad that she has gotten through that for the most point. For the most part. Um... And I think it was very brave of her to be able to make that decision, you know? Um, That's hard. In August 2014, Brangelina got married at their Chateau Miraval in France. Maddox and Pax walked their mom down the aisle. Sahara and Vivienne were flower girls, and Shiloh and Knox were ring bearers. I would just like to point out real quick why you shouldn't make sweeping savior statements (laughs) if you don't intend on holding yourself to them. Brad, in 2006, said he wouldn't get married until everyone else in the country who wants to be married is legally able. Just for reference, they got married in August 2014, and gay marriage was legalized federally in June of 2015. Well, also, yeah, the fact that you can't sense changing tides, like, the, like, what, like, the, if they just waited, like, another year. Oops. Oopsie daisies. And they've that been together so for, like, awkward. ten years by that point, right? So. I don't think they've, yeah, I don't think they've ever addressed it either, because how, what could you, well, how could you? What do you say? Oops. <laughs> I think that's so funny. In March 2015, Angelina revealed in a second New York Times op-ed that she elected to have her ovaries and fallopian tubes removed after an annual blood test showed markers that could be a sign of earlier cancer. She said, I called my husband in France, who was on a plane, within hours. Uh, that is also... That's scary. Yeah. You can have a lot of complications and things go wrong from removing your ovaries like a lot Mm. it's very dangerous this obviously was such a hard time for angelina and her family to go through and at this point paparazzi coverage just wasn't what it was in the early 2000s thank god so there isn't a lot of news on their front for a minute but they seem to be in a good place in their relationship until in august of 2016 angelina filed for divorce from brad citing irreconcilable differences 
She asked for primary custody of their six children, and Brangelina's lawyer, Robert Offer, released a statement. This decision was made for the health of the family. She will not be commenting and asks that the family be given its privacy at this time. This divorce that started in August of 2016 is still going on. Yeah. Which is so crazy to me because, like, I don't know, I always just assume that having a lot of money will speed things up. But I guess not always. I mean, Brad and Jen's divorce took nine months. Yeah. But this is just unprecedented. Well, also, I don't know, it's just really, it's so funny because I feel like a lot of the time, these things with with uh, celebrity couples don't come out of the blue. There is always, mm-hmm. like, you know, something showing you that things aren't right. the way they seem. And, um... And so it surprised, surprised me that the divorce was, you know, so unexpected. And then also so interesting um, that she immediately filed for primary custody of all of the kids. Yeah. Well, yeah. The custody battle was, of course, the hardest and most complicated part to figure out. There was apparently tension between Brad and Angelina's oldest child, Maddox. It has been alleged by publications that Angelina's filing for divorce happened soon after and because of a complaint filed with the Los Angeles County Department for Children and Family Services by Maddox about an altercation between him and Brad. This complaint included charges of child abuse, but was later resolved. Okay, 2016. Uh, Maddox was born in 2000, right? He was, I think, 16 here, Mm -hmm. 15. Yeah, okay, so back in 2016, during the investigation of the event between Maddox, who was 15 at the time, and his adopted father, Brad, said that while he had shouted at his son, he did not attempt to physically harm Maddox, his wife, or any of their other children. Brad also admitted that he was struggling with alcohol during this time and enrolled himself in AA following the divorce. Mm -hmm. Um... Earlier this year, a publication called The Blast obtained legal filings saying that Angelina is prepared to provide proof and authority and support of alleged domestic abuse by her former husband. Okay, so we have that kind of like record of the fact that she says there was domestic abuse that happened that she has and evidence of. And Maddox, one of the kids, says that there mm-hmm. is abuse and he sought help for it mm-hmm. as, a, as a 15-year-old, which is crazy to me. I don't even know if I would know how to do that at 15. Um, Which makes me think that maybe Angelina probably helped him with that. Um, Once alcohol abuse enters any sort of parental situation, I do start to get weird vibes, Mm -hmm. I have to say. Angelina told The Guardian, quote, I'm still in my own legal situation. I had an experience in the States with my own children, and I thought, well, human rights, children's rights. I remember the rights of the child, and I took them out and looked at them and thought, well, these are for when you're in a situation and you want to make sure there is support for the children in your life. Then I found out the U.S. hadn't ratified the rights of the child. One of the ways it affects children is their voice in court. A child in Europe would have a better chance of having a voice in court than a child in California. That said a lot to me about this country. This, I remember thinking was weird when we first talked about it, and I still think it's weird now, that, like, she uses this situation with her children to make a political point, a very good political point, but still, like, I don't know, it felt interesting to me. 
Yeah, and she's talking to a publication here, so maybe she's just sort of like editing a little bit to she's like if I if I am going to talk about this horrible situation that my kids and I are in, then I might as well use it use this platform that I'm being given right now to make a point about some of the difficulties that we've been facing. Right. But something I didn't really pick out the first time around and I'm noticing more and more <laughs> they these aren't she doesn't consider these Brad's kids. Right. Like it doesn't seem like she considers any of her children Brad's children. I don't know. Just based on that she said, statement? I had an experience in the States with my own children. Yeah, my own children is like my own children compared to European children. Or like but I had an experience. That experience was Brad. I, I don't so see that I phrasing ex- as, as indicating uh-huh. that at all. Like my own children, I'm thinking of that as my own children, and now I'm thinking of other people's children. Right. Yeah, and later she does. All right, well, I I think she thinks of them more as her children than Brad's children. But well, her first three are definitely more her children. Like, well, her first two. First two. Matt has um, Shiloh. Okay. Was their yeah, first biological the first child. Um. She wasn't able to speak about the situation very much or in any detail due to the divorce still being resolved in court, but when asked if she had feared for the safety of her children during their marriage, she said, Yes, for my family, my whole family. I'm not the kind of person who makes decisions like the decisions I had to make lightly. It took a lot for me to be in a position where I felt I had to separate from the father of my children. And when asked about how emotionally draining the five years since she filed for divorce have been, she responded, I mean, in some ways, it's been the last decade. There is a lot I can't say. I think at the end of the day, even if you and a few people you love are the only people who know the truth of your life, what you fight for, what you sacrifice, or what you've suffered, you come to be at peace with that, regardless of everything going on around you. So it had been going on for, like, a while then, because she said it was actually even... There was stuff going on the five years before she filed for divorce. Yeah, there were problems in their marriage that just weren't coming to light. And that part where she talked about no one believing her, I think it was also about no one believing or being willing to hear out what her kids have to say about the entire situation. Um, Because while Angelina received backlash uh, last year from the public and lawyers by advocating on behalf of her children to be able to testify against Brad in court, Angelina suggested that it would be a betrayal of her children's rights for them not to testify if they wish to, but her lawyers claimed that only three of the children have asked to give their testimony. And Maddox, I don't think, was included in these discussions because he is 20, maybe 21 at this point, so he can testify with no complications. This is interesting because this is something that didn't come up in the article, which is, like, they mentioned the ages of the children, um as impacting whether they go through a legal divorce, whether couples go through a legal divorce, they didn't mention the children's role in the legal proceedings versus the out-of-court proceedings. Right. It seems like, excuse me, based on this, um, kids would have a bigger role if they went through the court. Right. That's interesting. And they do have older children, not just Maddox, who's aged out at this point mm-hmm. of like needing anything. Uh, She touched on the custody proceedings in the Guardian interview, saying, 
It has been so horrific that I almost have to see it as a godsend to be in a position to be able to fight this system. It doesn't start with the violation, the plane incident. It's so much more complicated than that. My 17-year-old, for example, has been denied a voice in court. 17, I think you do know what you want to say and how you feel about certain situations. This is so interesting to me, though, because, like, um, I feel like that piece is so confusing and fragmented. Like, it doesn't start with the violation. It's so much more complicated than that. My 17-year-old has been denied a voice in court. Like, it doesn't start with the violation is kind of referencing that this happens over a period of years in the relationship and then being denied a voice in court is speaking to the weaknesses of the legal system so it seems like she's like trying to pull all this together into one like cohesive narrative and it is just not working it is a little disjointed i will say it is such a complicated situation Mm -hmm. and all of these things do play different factors in different ways yeah i can kind of see where she's coming from but at the same time i just feel like if she those things separately from each other if she spoke about it if she if she stopped trying to combine her personal and professional lives right and just talked about one or the other and it doesn't matter which one she's she she, she's talking about whatever she's comfortable with like i think that would resonate a lot more whichever one she chose to talk about yeah and angelina does say that her overall goal is for her family to heal and that does include brad as her children's father Um, She has also made efforts to keep their children in contact with Brad. She bought a home near his in California and has said she decides her and her kids' home based on where he lives. Um, See, that's interesting to me, too, because she was saying, oh, he, you know, has committed acts of domestic violence, and I need primary custody. I guess that could reflect that maybe he, his... AA program has worked and he is doing better as far as I know he has remained sober Mm -hmm. um, and doesn't have those same issues with alcohol at this point so you know I've never co-parented with a recovering alcoholic but I can definitely see trying to make uh, reasonable arrangements Mm -hmm. to support his rehabilitation Mm -hmm. and you know most important here is the kids having good relationships with their parents in whatever way that they can so even if angelina is like i'm not sure that his sobriety is that and rehabilitation is at the point where i would trust him with half custody with my kids but i do want them to have a relationship with their dad Mm -hmm. um and so he's also seen at her house a few times last year and earlier this year, but sources say the couple has no want for reconciliation and their current relationship does surround their children. Mm-hmm. Most recently, Brad is suing Angelina over one of their shared properties. On Tuesday, September 21st, he filed a lawsuit accusing Angelina of trying to sell her shares in the property without telling him, which, was, which would result in a large profit for her and a reduced profit for him. This does go against an agreement the couple made in 2016 to consult each other before selling shares to give the other a chance to counter or offer a buyout. This is so interesting that they had a legal agreement for their financial 
holdings, but they haven't been able to come up with but not their kids. No, a legal agreement for like custody and stuff like that. Maybe it's just she never saw it getting to a point to the point that it did. Are they st- are they still in the custody battle or have they just agreed to handle everything else informally? As far as I'm aware, they are still in this legal battle. Hmm. So, that is spanning quite a few years. Um yeah, so the Supreme Court rejected... We'll get into this, but Brad... Okay, quick update. I was right. She she won so far. She, is, she, at this point, is retaining full custody, but he's still fighting her for it. Got it. Okay. So, yes, they are still fighting over so this. So he's fighting. Um, she has full custody. Yes. Got it. Apparently, a source identified Angelina's actions as consistently vindictive and that, quote, this is pretty consistent with this person's behavior and is why she has been deemed not credible based on the testimony of numerous experts, medical professionals, therapists, and others who know her in the best and who know her best in the recent ruling of the custodial case. I will point out that once again, this source is only identified as Quote, someone who was close to the case and no further information was given. I have also not seen evidence that would suggest that Angelina has been deemed not credible by anyone in the custody battle, let alone numerous experts, medical professionals, or therapists. So maybe that source is just bitter and consistently vindictive. (laughs) She originally asked for primary custody, I think with visitation and some other stuff that would ensure Brad's continued involvement with the kids' lives, and they have since dismissed the judge they originally brought on to finish the custody battle, which Brad is currently contesting. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to point out, the reason the court system agreed with Angelina to dismiss the judge they chose, the judge Brad is currently fighting to get back on the case, is because he did not sufficiently disclose business relationships with Brad Pitt's attorneys. Yeah. The court ruled... If quote, I were Brad, judge I would Outer- him on too. <laughs> The court ruled, quote, Judge Outerkirk's ethical breach considered together with the information disclosed concerning his recent professional relationships with Pitt's counsel might cause an objective person aware of all the facts reasonably to entertain a doubt as to the judge's ability to be impartial. Mm-hmm. Disqualification is required. And so currently, as of the day that we are recording this, they're still fighting for custody because um, the latest appeal from Brad was dismissed mm-hmm. and so angelina is he, he he appealed for joint custody once again and they said no <laughs> right Whew. that is definitely a contentious divorce if he was constantly rejoining for full custody the way she is i could see it being this crazy contentious but why he just wants joint custody with his children. Right. Why are they so afraid to give that to him? Well, we don't know. There could be... That's true. Reasons. And I also don't like... Now, listen, I'm not a millionaire, and I've never owned million-dollar properties. I think it's bullshit that he's starting another lawsuit about this vineyard. No one cares. No one cares, Brad. Well, Let it thing. go. It's like, on her part, right, like... 
that wasn't great but again like it was probably something her financial manager she has full custody of six children to take care of yeah get over it brad but I mean, also like it does go against against the agreement they made to consult each other before selling shares. But he tried to sneak a judge under the radar in a custody battle, who has business relationships with his own attorneys. Yeah, I know. I feel like the um the best way to indicate that he wants to move forward on a constructive path would be to be like, oh, it's okay that you did this. Like, let's just move forward. And I feel like that would also make his or case even stronger just say, in court. Exactly. Or even, like, table that until the custody battle is over. Don't start another lawsuit right. with your ex-wife while you're already in a lawsuit with her. Yeah. You're just muddling up the system. You're muddling up the, both cases. It's not right. Exactly. <laughs> Not a good luck. So do you think they'll get back together? Oh my god, no. No. They're so pretty. <laughs> there is no way. I don't think he can go through something like this and then later reconcile. I think not only... I think this sucks because I feel like they obviously are destroying their ability to have a relationship with each other. You know, not a romantic relationship, just a relationship. They're also really fucking with their kids relationships with both of them yeah maddox i feel like was already in a pretty fucked situation with brad Mm -hmm. as the oldest child as the one who got into a fight with him all that kind of stuff but like yo those twins are still really young yeah (laughs) they shouldn't be watching their parents have a five year long custody battle how old are their youngest children i god i think they're like 16 now huh like um they might be too old to even care by the time this battle's over so the twins are 13 their youngest kids okay so the the youngest kids are 13 yeah so in order maddox is 19 20 really no i don't think so yeah he's 21 as of october 27th he's 20 zahara is 16 Shiloh is uh, 15, Pax is 17, and Vivian and Knox are 13. Yeah. Was that in order? My bad. <laughs> so, like, even the twins are going to be going off to school pretty soon. Pretty much. That's like, like uh, uh, is it even going to matter by the time they right, exactly. end this custody battle? I do have to say, um, all of their kids are so adorable and gorgeous, but Zahara and Shiloh are just absolute dolls. Yeah. They're so sweet looking. Um, but yeah, that is, that's incredibly complicated. That's a tough situation. I don't think anyone's acting particularly well. No. They're being pretty immature about this i would say but before we close out this podcast i do have to ask you a question siri so you work in psychological research with an emphasis on relationships yes do i (laughs) kinda do you is that what you do i think i do (laughs) Alrighty. you have also married your high school sweetheart 
I did. <laughs> That's true. And he's the only person you've ever dated, ever. That's true. Do you find ever that people either are like, oh, wow, you must be, like, really, really good at what you do because clearly it worked? Or do you think people are kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's interesting, but I'll take it with a grain of salt because you haven't been through it? That's a good question. I think probably a bit of both. Interesting. Yeah, I think a bit of both. Because people forget that... um, that my research actually doesn't come from me talking and then writing things down that I talk about. It actually comes from what <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of participants across different samples and lots of statistical analyses. <laughs> Excuse me, are you telling me that you are not doctors Gomez Casillas, Añejo, and Solsana from Spain? From what? Those are the doctors from the article we just talked about. about. Because you said that, I think you're tired. I'm getting awful feedback right now, so I can barely. Okay. You know what? We're going to wrap it up. (laughs) Wrap it up. Next time. This is a good one. I'll be back without a splitting headache and on more than six hours of sleep. And I'm going to rock it. And everyone's going to be like, who was that on that podcast with Soji? (laughs) She sounded, (laughs) um... Like, I don't even know how to say it. Like, sparkling? (laughs) She seemed like she had a really pneumatic face. (laughs) Stop. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. We're not going to give a preview for next episode because we have literally no idea what it's going to be because we're recording so out of order. Don't say that. Just say it's a surprise. (laughs) It's the next episode is going to be a surprise. Get excited, guys. Okay, Kayla, bye. It's going to be really good. (laughs) Okay, bye.